This podcast contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is season eight, episode 16 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. I've been a listener of the show for around two years. I don't remember how I found the podcast or what I was looking for, especially since at the time, I had just moved out of my childhood home to live alone. And scary stranger danger stories definitely made me feel unsafe. Despite the scares and my anxiety, I kept listening. Everyone's stories were oddly entertaining, but also very therapeutic. Having a story of my own, it was a relief knowing that others felt or feel the same way about these kinds of ordeals. I pondered sharing this story in the beginning of my listening and talked myself out of it, but now that I'm well into season eight, and I guess almost caught up, I feel more confident and ready to share. This was sometime months after moving into my own place. My mom told me that she had some belongings for me to pick up that she had tucked away for years. One of the items was a binder, and I was shocked when I opened it. It was article after article detailing my story. But I can't really call it my story because I wasn't the only one in it. I was the lucky one. I'm 29 years old. I'm a female. But this happened in the fall of 99, when I was only six just minutes from my home in the beach town where I grew up. I was playing outside in a large vacant lot with a friend. Her house was right next to the lot. We rode little electric four-wheelers through this lot. We dug in the dirt and waded through muddy water all day, all unsupervised. I can't imagine seeing kids do this now, but back then, I guess it was fine. We lived in a small town, where everybody knew each other, and it felt safe. While we were playing, my friend said that she was going to run back to the house for a shovel. I stayed behind, still digging whatever we were working on, while she ran off. After a while, I noticed that she was taking an unusually long time, so I returned to the house as well. When I got in the door... I was a little irritated because my friend was sitting on the couch, all clean. But she hadn't gone to tell me that we were done playing. Her mom stopped in the doorway, because I was, of course, still covered in dried mud, bare feet and all. Go back out and use the hose to wash up. We're getting ready to go to the pumpkin patch and pick up some pumpkins, she said. I obeyed and went back outside around the front of the house and into the fenced backyard. Now, being only six, I didn't have the greatest attention or observational skills. I was looking for a hose, and there wasn't one. 
Her mom had also told me that there was a faucet attached to the house, but I didn't really know what this meant, feeling stupid and too embarrassed to go back to the door to ask for help. I sat on the swing set in the yard and planned to wait until someone came outside to get me. After a moment, I heard a whisper. It was the psst sound that you would make to get someone's attention. Looking up, I saw a man standing just in the backyard, around the opposite corner of the house that I had walked from. An older man with glasses. I didn't recognize him, but that didn't mean anything to me. This friend that I was playing with, I hadn't known for very long, and I was always meeting new family members of her and her family's friends. The new man beckoned me over with a come-here gesture with his finger. Now, so relieved that I had an adult, I started talking this man's ear off about how I needed to wash up with the hose, but I couldn't find it. All the while, he was leading me out of the backyard and around the fence into the vacant lot, where his truck was parked right behind the fence. He then lifted me up by my waist and placed me in the passenger seat. I came to the conclusion that we were just going on a ride to the pumpkin patch without having me wash up after all, even though I still didn't have shoes on. Looking back now, as someone who grew up being praised for her intelligence, I feel like I had no logic as a kid for all of the moments that led up to this situation. The man started driving his truck in the direction that would take us farther into the lot, which baffled me because it was going away from the main road and the road that my friend's house was on but I still wasn't scared or even uneasy at this point. Very specifically, I remember staring at the floor and taking notice of the floor mats. They had Looney Tunes, Tasmanian Devils on them. At one point, the man started to talk to me. I don't remember any of the conversation anymore, except a couple of very blunt requests that he had, asking me to remove clothing. But he asked it so gently in this odd tone, that kid voice that people use when they're trying to coax them like a dog. No, I replied, knowing that it wasn't right. I felt like I was being tested on stranger danger rather than actually living it. They pushed further and asked again. I said no, replying firmly this time. From what I remember at that point, it got silent in the cab. He drove a couple more minutes until we were at the very back of the vacant lot. He stopped the truck, then walked around to my side. He opened the door and took me out, the same way that he had placed me in, then he got back in the truck and drove off. I stood there for a moment, dumbfounded. I had no understanding of what had transpired. And I was bummed out because, while the house was still in eyesight, it felt so far away for how small that I was. But I trekked all the way back, and still unwashed, re-entering the house where my friend's mom was frantic. Where were you? I was calling for you. You were gone for half an hour. By calling for me, she meant she was yelling my name out the front door. I didn't even know what a cell phone was back then. Her hysterics startled me, because up until that point I was just confused. But I wasn't scared. Getting yelled at. I felt like I did something wrong. 
I immediately started crying my eyes out with guilt. I'm not sure if she called the police before or after this moment. That may have been what really triggered my crying, or it could have been afterwards, when she realized something was horribly wrong and took me into the bedroom for privacy. There she asked me what happened. I told her the story as best as I could with all of my child-minded recall. The rest of that day, I only remember in snippets. My mom arriving, the police arriving, me answering a couple of questions for them. And then my friend and I playing outside in the backyard like nothing had even happened. I brushed off the whole situation with that childhood resilience, feeling safe and taken care of by my mom. She took me home where my other family members had arrived. They hugged me and kissed me. I was oblivious to the danger that I had been in. So I still didn't understand exactly what happened or why everyone was so relieved. In my mind, nothing had really happened. This bad man that they were talking about didn't do anything bad to me. I was told I was kidnapped. But felt that I wasn't. Because I had followed along willingly. Months after this abduction, I was taken to the police station again to see a sketch artist, where I was able to give them absolutely no helpful information in creating a profile for my abductor. I was a friendly and talkative child, but I didn't pay enough attention to people. A problem that I still have to this day, being unable to look at people's faces and remember them. Despite my lack of attention, my remembrance of his truck and the Taz floor mats is what sealed the deal on catching this man. It turned out, he lived only about 15 minutes away from my parents' hometown. He was a Navy recruiter with a spotless 20-year military career. I was one of three girls he had abducted. The two others were from nearby towns. One was snatched from her bike, and one was let out of her vehicle, kicking and screaming. Another girl that was taken was assaulted. Knowing this makes me sick. But the bastard was caught and sentenced to almost 30 years in prison on multiple kidnapping and assault charges, as well as possession of child pornography. Most of these later details I didn't learn until I was older, and some of them not until I received that binder from my mom. I know she was trying to protect me by not telling me everything, but I kind of wished that she had. The incident was not a sensitive subject for me as a child, and I never felt traumatized by it. I even told a lot of people about it over the years. But I suppose it was a trauma nonetheless that affected me in more subtle ways. I often felt guilty for being stupid, guilty for letting myself be taken, and even guilty for feeling like I was trying to garner sympathy with the sob story. Growing up from that point on, my life became incredibly sheltered. I wasn't allowed to go out and do all of the things that my older brothers did. I remember being sad about things, like not being able to go outside and play with my neighbors. I understand that this was also terrifying for my parents, who wanted to keep me as safe as possible after everything that had happened. But some of it was so over the top that it was to my detriment. Unintentionally, I was molded into a quiet, shy teen who never did anything alone and didn't trust anyone. To an extent, I still don't trust anyone. 
It took a lot of effort for me to become more independent and the actual adult that I am today. I hate to do anything alone, but at least now I'm capable of it. Now my abductor, who should still be in prison, is sort of MIA. I was able to find him doing an inmate lookup last year, but during COVID, his record listed several notes of post-conviction relief. I fear he was let out on parole, maybe even because of COVID and the releases that they were doing by means of social distancing. Now people ask me, are you afraid of this man being out of prison? I'm always quick to respond, no, I'm not his type anymore. But I do fear for what this man will get up to if he's not vigilantly monitored. He's a sick man with a sickness that isn't curable with any number of years behind bars. I hope he never sets eyes on another child again. Wherever you are, the pervert who almost ruined my childhood and scarred me for life, I may not be a lot bigger, but I am a lot meaner now. And so is the company that I keep. For your sake, let's not meet again. When I was 19, I had a run-in with the police officer that wasn't what one would typically think of. I was on the tail end of a relationship with my high school boyfriend who had been hanging around a new crowd of people from a very rich neighborhood a few cities over. At first, these people welcomed me into their circle, but when I found out that I was pregnant, things went downhill fast. The girls in the group started telling me all of the negative things about babies, and the guys were filling my boyfriend's head with all sorts of degrading things about me. The girls even went so far as to take me out on a shopping trip, with their real destination being an abortion clinic. I remember trying to tell the nurse at the front desk that I didn't want to be there, and these girls were forcing me to get this done. The nurse said that it was normal to be scared. I went into the room where the doctor is supposed to prepare you, and when I was left alone in the room, I snuck out the back door and started walking home. Now there were no cell phones back then, and only the occasional payphone. I don't remember exactly where they took me, just that it was really far away. I did the only thing I could think of and hitchhiked, while this could potentially be dangerous, I was willing to take my chances. A woman picked me up and took me to my city and dropped me off at my home. At that point, I ended up telling my mom what happened so the truth came out about my pregnancy. My boyfriend acted like he didn't know anything about what the girls were planning, and stupidly, I believed him. One night he was over at one of his rich kid friend's houses, and he told me to come over so that we could talk. I drove over there and went to the door to knock. It was dark out, probably 9 or 10 p.m. if I had to guess. I just remember that it was late. The lights in the house were on and I could hear loud music. I knew that they were inside having some kind of party. They were all underage, but heavily into drinking and drugs. I knocked a few times, but no one answered, so I started back down the driveway to leave. 
Then the front door finally opens. And a guy said to come back. That my boyfriend was on the way. But the guy shut the door. I started walking back to the front porch and my boyfriend's car alarm started going off. I got to the door and knocked, but no answer. I walked back down the driveway and the same thing happened with a different person opening the door now. This happened five to six times before I finally said, screw it, I'm going home. At this point, I think the neighbors were pissed off that the car alarm kept going off and they called the police. My car was in the road at the end of the driveway, about 15 to 20 feet away from the house. By the time that I got to my car and was unlocking the door, a police car rolled up. He asked what I was doing and said that there was a complaint about a car alarm and possibly breaking and entering. I explained that my boyfriend was inside of the house with his friends and what they kept doing, opening the door, then closing it, then setting off the alarm. I told the officer that I just wanted to talk to my boyfriend. A few weeks earlier, right about the time of the abortion clinic incident, I found out that my boyfriend had been seeing another girl. I didn't know if she was one of the girls at that house or one that took me to the clinic. The police officer kept asking me if I was sure that I wasn't the one causing all of the trouble. I told him that I wasn't. I was tired. I just wanted to go home. He told me to get in the car and he would look up my information just to be sure. He told me to get in the passenger side and not in the back. He did pull up my information on the screen and said, you don't look like a threat. He was young. I would have to guess in his mid-twenties, though I'm bad at judging ages. The door on the police car was shut on my side, and after he looked up my information, he just took off from the house with me in the car. I was in a panic. Why was he leaving? My car was left at the house. Was I being arrested? Where was he taking me? A few minutes later, he pulled into a parking lot down the street. It was a school, but since it was night, it was closed, and I remember it was very, very dark. The officer said that he works until 7 a.m., and it was probably going to be a slow shift since nothing happens in that town, so he wanted me to keep him company. I didn't know what to think or do. He could kill me if he wanted, assault me, no one would ever find out. I debated on telling him that I was sick because I was pregnant, but something in my gut said to keep quiet. I thought that that would anger him. He asked me general questions about myself, my life, and my family. I told him as much as I thought I needed to, but I tried not to say anything too personal. I didn't want to lie because he might be able to look up my information, and maybe I wouldn't remember if I lied. I remember having to go to the bathroom real bad, and I asked if I could go back or go somewhere to use the restroom. He said, Just go beside the car. I told him that I was too nervous, so he got out of the car and stood behind the vehicle to keep watch while I peed. 
I don't even know how I would have gotten away or if I would have been able to run and hide, but I lost my chance. He told me all about his life and made many references to being single and looking for a girlfriend. He even told me at one point that he could make my boyfriend disappear, if that's what I wanted. He kept telling me how beautiful I was and that I was perfect for him. And wouldn't I like to be his girlfriend? He would touch my hair or stroke my arm. He even held my hand for a long time. He came towards me to try and kiss me a few times. He actually got to my cheek, but I tried to stand my ground on being in a relationship and that I didn't cheat. He got angry, but I diffused the situation by asking, if I was your girlfriend, would you want me to cheat on you if I were having problems? He calmed down and agreed that it was better that I broke up with my boyfriend first. This went on all night until the sun came up. It must have been eight or nine hours. Just before 7 a.m., he said he had to go back to the station and clock out. He wrote down his number and told me to call him. He told me that the next time he worked, he wanted to see me again. I took the number and said that I was looking forward to it. He drove me back to my car and waited until I got in and started it up. I was shaking as soon as I got into my car. I locked the door and turned around in the street and drove away. He followed me for a few moments, but eventually did turn off. Maybe it was the turn off to the police station? I didn't know where it was located, but once he turned off and there was no chance that he could see me, I broke down crying. I cried the entire way home. My parents never realized that I was gone all night. Or if they did, they never said anything about it. I thought back on that night many times. One wrong word or look. And I might not be here. I'm grateful that nothing more happened. But the terror of being locked in his car all night with the thought of maybe not making it out alive or unharmed. To that asshole cop with the power trip, the narcissistic attitude who preys on young girls, let's never meet again. I want to start off by saying I haven't shared this story with many people because of how traumatic it was but I am hoping that this story will help others. I'm a middle-aged woman, and people typically would describe me as intimidating upon first meeting, but see later that I am a very caring and protective friend. This happened in 2021. I was in Dallas, Texas, finishing the end of a two-week vacation. I needed to get a few things to pack up my haul from shopping. My friend had been drinking, and I told her not to worry, that I'd get an Uber down the road, and be right back. At first, the driver seemed nice. We talked about me being from North Carolina, and the differences between our barbecues. Then he started making comments about how pretty they make North Carolina girls, and how he was about to get off his shift. I told him thank you 
even though I started to get a bad feeling, and that I'd put in for another driver on the ride back. He told me that he didn't mind doing it for free, since where I was going was only five minutes away. Now, because I had seen videos about bad experiences with Uber drivers, I told him, no thank you. I needed to have a driver who was still on the clock and could be monitored by Uber. I thanked him for the ride and went into the store. As I'm wandering around to pick a few things up that I need, I see that he comes inside. I feel all of the blood rush from my face and my stomach dropped. I ducked behind an end cap and watched as he went down the aisles, looking around presumably for me. I take my purchases up to the register line, looking around to see if I can find him. As I get close to the cashier, he finds me and makes a beeline directly towards me. Now, I'm a deer in headlights, not fight, not flight. He tells me that he has his wife on the phone to talk to me to assure me that he's a good guy and that I should come hang out with them tonight. Gathering all of the southern politeness that I had been brought up with to get out of a bad situation, I tell him, no thank you, and for them to have a good night. He walks off into the store again, and I start the look with the female cashier. The look where you're trying to scream through your eyes, please help me, I'm scared and I need your help. With a shaking voice, and as much fake confidence as I could muster, I tell her I'm from North Carolina, and I had to take an Uber here. And did they mind if I stood by her as I waited for my car to arrive? Thank the gods this woman caught everything. She told me absolutely, had me sit right beside her, and kept her eyes on me the entire time. A few minutes later, this guy is coming through again. He's coming to the checkout. He tries to talk to me. He talks to me again. He tries to convince me to go home with him. I tell him no, firmly with no politeness at this point. I'm terrified, but I have backup now. He leaves, and after the line dies, I tell her everything. She walks out to check, and he is still out there. At this point, I completely break down. The first lady called the manager up to the front, and again, luckily, this lady was on it. She walked out to tell the man to leave, but he had left at that point already. They stayed with me until the Uber driver arrived, and the manager gave me her number and told me she was going to feel him out before I got in. She explained to the new driver what had happened, and let him know that I had her number to call her if anything happened. I hugged both of the ladies while sobbing, thanking them profusely. I rode back to my friend's house in terrified silence and slipped into full panic attack mode as soon as I got back. To this day, I still carry numbers in my wallet, and I'm forever grateful that there were women who looked out for other women there. I'm also grateful to the content that I've seen and heard. If I hadn't gleaned the knowledge from the content of others' experiences, the gods only know what could have happened to me. I could have been a name, an, an ocean of names of women who weren't as lucky. 
So to the creepy, stalking Uber driver, let's never meet again because North Carolina also makes girls who carry grudges. The story I'm about to tell you joins the many others that happened due to Grindr. I know there have already been a few stories shared about the app, but as a reminder, Grindr is a dating app that has a functionality that allows users to roughly see how far they are from someone in miles, but also in feet if the distance is close enough. While there's a way to turn the feature off so that no one can see your approximate distance, I was still pretty young at the time, and not as careful as I am now. I had never experienced the dating app horror stories, so I never thought that it could happen to me. It was 2014, and I had just graduated from college. I had outgrown the college apartment that I was in, for the better part of four years and decided to move in with my two friends. One was still going to school, and the other was a social media e-girl for a living. They had a pretty sizable following online, with income generated from people sending her money. No, I'm not making it up, although I wouldn't blame any listeners for doubting. I'll call them Sarah and Laura for the purpose of this story. Myself and Sarah were worried due to Laura's popularity, but she assured us that nothing weird had ever happened in real life and that she wouldn't be able to move in for a while anyway. So we just went with it. It's not like we have experienced anything like stalking or anything, right? Well, I move in immediately after graduation. Sarah was going to be out of the country for two weeks for a study abroad situation in Spain, and Laura wasn't going to be moving in until about a month later. Although Sarah's boyfriend, who was also a friend of mine, would be over to hang out, he wouldn't be staying nights since she wasn't there. I effectively would be by myself in the house for the better part of a month, and I, at the time, was excited. I was very much a, for the lack of a better word, man-ho back in 2014, and submerged in hookup culture. My previous living situation made it difficult to have people over since the ex-roommate was staunchly against hooking up. So being able to host and not having to always travel was a godsend. So with a mixture of insomnia and the desire to have someone in my bed at night. I engaged in many chats on Grinder with guys, and yes, I did meet with a few of them. This particular one started like any other. It was a normal night, around 3 a.m. I had some B-horror movie running in the background on Netflix while I browsed guys' profiles on the app. I got a notification from a profile that had no picture. This wasn't that uncommon as Grindr was also known as the app where the demographic was about 45% closeted guys with blank profiles, 45% drug deals, and 10% people with actual pictures. This was an outlier, as despite not having a picture, the user did fill in all of their details, 
and even had written something on their profile. This made me relax. So far, no red flags. He sent a simple hello and followed it up with a message asking me what I was up to, so late. I responded saying I couldn't sleep, but also wouldn't mind having company. So I was just browsing. The conversation went on as normal. He explained that he was on the night shift for road construction, but was about to get off of work and wanted to de-stress. I asked if he had a face picture, and he sent it to me with no hesitation. He was the same age as me. Was pretty cute, admittedly. And nothing seemed off. So, I asked if he wanted to come over. He said sure, and that he would let me know when he was done. About 30 minutes had passed, and he sent me another message saying that he was done and ready to come over. In the middle of typing my address into the chat bar, he sent another message asking, Hey, how kinky are you? I deleted what I had typed and said that I was vanilla for the most part. He then proceeded to send a wall of text explaining that he was very into public stuff and usually got off on the thrill of being caught. He said that he was very dominant. He liked to make his partners submissive, where everyone can see, sometimes tying them up to trees, or whatever was around before, well, I won't go into the graphic details, and leaving them there. He said it made him feel like they were just his sex toys to do with as he pleased. He asked if I would be into any of that outdoors and in my backyard, or out in the front lawn or anything like this. I felt uncomfortable with the content of what he had said and simply told him that I would prefer to just do something normal in a bedroom while adding a little ha-ha to make it seem less like a flat-out rejection. He persisted on saying that he would make sure I had fun, but he would really only like to hang out if we could have sex outside, loudly because he wanted people to hear. So his continued persistence with coming over to do God knows what with me if he got me outside steadily made me less and less aroused for the night. And after about five minutes of him begging me to let him do this kind of stuff to me, I called it off. I said I was actually pretty tired and was just going to bed. This was a mistake. He got angry, saying that I let him on that he was wasting all of this time after work where he could have already been with somebody else doing exactly what he wanted and described. I apologized and said that he should try to message other people if that's the case. He sent NO in all caps and said that he was going to come over. I was confused at this point since I hadn't sent my address. I decided to just leave it alone. After messaging a few other people just for conversation, I tried to go to bed. I hadn't gotten any more messages from the guy, so I thought that I was in the clear. I don't know how long I was actually laying there, but at some point, I remember getting that familiar buzzing of messages. It was from the guy. He said a sentence that chilled me to the bone. I'm outside. Come and get me. 
What did he mean he was outside? I never sent my address. There's absolutely no way. All of the lights were off in the house. So I quietly went to the front room where we had a window that faced the street. I crouched down and only barely opened the very bottom rung of the blinds to try and see outside, but without making it obvious. A black pickup truck was slowly driving down the street. It was currently a house or so down, but it was going so slow as if it were looking for something, the way that people look when they're lost and trying to find their bearings. I got another message. Which one is your house? Where are you? This guy really was outside on my street trying to find my house. I backed away from the window and went to his profile to block him and ultimately report him while debating if I should get the police involved. And that's when I noticed the 305 feet away notification. He had somehow, over God knows how long, steadily tracked me to this subdivision using an approximated distance. My blood ran cold, and I quickly blocked him without bothering to report him on the app. I thought, if he continues to look or somehow, God forbid, comes up to the house, I will call the cops then. I just didn't want him to have the approximate distance anymore, and in my panic I didn't even think about going into the settings to turn it off. I went back to the window to see where he was, and he had thankfully passed my house. But he was stopped in front of another neighbor's house. I watched for what felt like an eternity, just trying to stay as discreet as possible. I wanted to be ready. Then abruptly, his truck sped off. His tires made squealing noises that you would expect when someone slams on the gas. I breathed a sigh of relief, and after making sure that every door was completely and utterly locked, I went back to my room to try and sleep. It took me a while, but I eventually did. It was over. Thank God, I never sent him my actual address. I didn't hear from them again, and a couple of days later, I was back to my usual shenanigans using the app. A regular hookup of mine had recently gotten out of a relationship and wanted to get together again. I was still wary of telling people where I lived after that experience. At this point, I had moved, and he didn't know where I lived. But... He said he didn't mind if I came over to his apartment. I went over around 12 a.m. We had a wonderful time. And then around 3 a.m. or so, I left to go home, since he had to go to work in just about an hour. As I left his apartment complex, I noticed another car was also leaving and going the same way as I was. I didn't think anything about it at the time and I put it out of my mind for about five minutes of my drive home. But then, they kept going the same direction as me. I started to pay more attention. That's when I noticed what kind of car it was, and as I made a turn, I watched as they made that same exact turn. And I saw that it was, indeed, the black pickup truck. Oh, God. Could this be the same guy as before? I couldn't be sure, because they were maintaining a distance. I didn't want to take any chances, though, 
I had to lose them. I sped up and avoided getting on the highway and instead staying on access roads. They in turn sped up as well, until they were tailgating me hard after we stopped at a light. I made more turns trying to lose them, but they kept keeping up, and they kept right on my ass. I was in a full-blown panic at this point. There was an intersection approaching, and the light began to turn red before we approached. I floored it. I don't think they were expecting this, since I was able to get a gap between us before I noticed that they were also speeding up. I blew through that red light before the oncoming cars could begin to go through, although I heard some honking. By some divine, otherworldly power, they got stuck at the light because the cars were now passing in front of them. I turned to an off-street and kept turning inside of this subdivision, trying to put whatever distance I could between me and them, and not give them any way to track me even if they tried using an app. I was moving the car and hadn't been online since I was over at the other guy's house. I stopped to gather myself. I didn't see any lights or any other cars. I felt bad for stopping in front of some random person's house, but I just needed a minute to clear my head. Was I just followed by the same guy that tried tracking me earlier? It had to have been. They were keeping up with me, and I was fairly sure that it was the same type of car. What the fuck? After I was able to calm my nerves, I used my phone's GPS to make my way back to the highway and went home. I couldn't sleep. I turned on the kitchen and the living room lights, and I just stood in front of the microwave as I made some popcorn. I couldn't compartmentalize what had just happened. But he couldn't have followed me home. I lost him. I just needed to calm down. And that's when I saw the flash of headlights hit the front window, as if someone turned into our driveway. I was frozen. I wanted to assume that it was just Sarah's boyfriend coming over, but I knew that it wasn't. Dread filled me again. I quickly turned off all of the lights and drew the curtains closed on the back door patio glass door. I did what I did the night he first appeared. I crawled my way to the front window and tried peering out as discreetly as possible. It was a black truck. It was in our driveway. It was now turned off, and I noticed a figure was standing at the end of the driveway facing towards the front door, or I assumed he was facing the front door. Apparently the streetlights for our specific area did not work, so... It was hard to really make out what was happening except through the moonlight. He wasn't moving. This only added to my anxiety. I did notice that they had a puffy jacket on and a cap, and I'm assuming shaggy hair by the way that his face was framed. This seemed to match the image that he sent me when we first talked. This piece of shit. Did he stake me out? Since that first night? Did he see me leave to go to the other guy's apartment? Where was he watching from and how long had he been watching? He was waiting. He had to figure out which house was mine. But the bigger question, what was he going to do? 
I didn't dare take my eyes off of him. But all he did was stand there. It had to have been 15 minutes before I saw him turn and look around and then quickly make his way back to the driver's side door and get in. The truck was turned on. He backed out and left. The energy that my body had stored in case I needed to do something, whether that be getting a weapon or calling the police or whatever, it left my body through a huge sigh. I was now tired. But I still didn't sleep that night. But thankfully, or at least to my knowledge, nothing ever happened with that guy again. I don't know why he left. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe he saw something when he had turned around that made him think twice. I'm obviously grateful that he came to his senses. But at this point, seven years later, I couldn't tell you. To the gay construction worker, who didn't take no for an answer and apparently stalked me because I wouldn't let you dominate me in my yard, let's never meet again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Don't forget to stick around after the music for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. And if you want to get access, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. And also, don't forget if you're looking for your weekly true paranormal, check out the new episode of my other podcast, Odd Trails at oddtrails.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This week you have heard... I was the lucky one by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. Abuse of power by Chris G. No more Ubers by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. And finally, I was tracked via Grinder by Tyler. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Next week, we will be doing another Lost Stories edition of the podcast. I'm looking forward to that. And maybe one of the last. We're running low on some of those older stories, but that's okay. We've still got some really great, really scary ones to get through. I'll see you all next week for that episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe. I was in college. I went to Dallas for the weekend to visit my friend who graduated a year before.